Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A former Obama economic advisor calls Biden's latest move, quote unquote, reckless. We'll have that story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. If you agree with that mission, you can help. Subscribe, give us a rating, share it with a friend. You know what to do. Joining me as always, Trey Gons Phillips. Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faithwire. What's going on, guys? How you doing? I'm living the dream. How are you? Great. Right. Fantastic. It's Friday Junior. It is. And a couple incredible stories coming up on this Friday Junior. Yelp put a disclaimer on crisis pregnancy centers in their search. You're not going to believe what that disclaimer actually says. We'll get into that. And we have Lifeway Research out. Fascinating poll. Big denominational swings when it comes to churches allowing female senior pastors will dive into that. And also on the main thing today, has gender affirming care gone too far? Heather Sells takes a look at a hospital that's pushing back. But first, we are going to go through the news in 90 seconds. And as we discussed yesterday, President Biden did announce his controversial plan to shift the burden of college loans from the loan taker to the American taxpayer. Here's what President Biden had to say. Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. And they also extended the moratorium on monthly payments and interest for a, quote, final time. That goes through December 31st. It had been set to expire on August 31st. So it's moved so controversial that even a former Obama economic advisor, Jason Furman, labeled it as a move that's, quote, pouring roughly half a trillion dollars of gasoline on the inflationary fire, adding that it was reckless. He said it also broke a campaign promise from Biden that to make sure that, quote, all proposals are paid for. Others have questioned the legality of this move if the president has enough unilateral authority to make such a declaration or not. Elsewhere, a former Washington State University coach has filed a claim against the school seeking $25 million after being fired for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. Nick Rolovich is Catholic and he was denied a religious exemption. And a 105-year-old farmer has offered advice for a long and healthy life, pointing to God along the way, saying a fella has to have a lot of faith. So great story there. You can read about those headlines and more happening over at CBNnews.com. Guys, obviously the big news happening yesterday, this announcement from President Biden on student loan that they're calling forgiveness. Others are saying it's just a transfer of debt. And it's it's a controversy. It's caused a lot of reaction. It's really one of those things where we've talked a lot about this, right? We've seen a lot of headlines that this was coming, but the reality of it, you're going to see really harsh reactions, which we've already started to see pouring in from people who have just paid their loans off, yeah. right? From people who, you know, have, have scraped and worked hard and they're saying, well, if this is going to be offered to other people, why isn't it going to be offered to me now? And beyond that, the national debt factor here, you're talking billions upon billions of hundreds of billions of dollars 
at a time when the nation is already beleaguered by debt. Well, and then on top of kind of indirectly punishing the people who've already paid off their debt, like you were talking about, uh, Billy, it also incentivizes, and I know Biden briefly mentioned this, but or not even incentivizes, it it almost rewards colleges uh, for continuing to up their price over and over and over again uh, and doesn't really put any sort of restriction on them, doesn't give them even a slap on the wrist, just says, we're going to forgive all this debt and the government's going to repay it, which who's the government? That's taxpayers. So we're all going to end up repaying uh, the debt that people for any number of reasons just either chose not to repay or are unable to repay because they were promised something, something that if they got this degree, they were going to have this great career uh, and it hasn't come to fruition maybe. Uh, So now they're saddled with all this debt uh, and the government is just rewarding the college uh, for paying these or for charging these astronomical numbers to kids. A lot, a lot of talk there, and it's obviously not going to go away anytime soon because for all the reasons that we mentioned here. So let's head on in here to our next story, and this is Yelp. They put on a disclaimer. If you search for crisis pregnancy centers, you're going to get an interesting note from Yelp. Yeah, so in, in the post-Row era, we're seeing all kinds of responses like this from social media companies, and Yelp is just the latest, like you said, Dan, to roll out a new feature that actually directly and explicitly warns users of the app uh, that are looking up uh, places to get abortion, uh, are looking up crisis pregnancy centers, uh, they'll be flagged and letting them know that they do not, they're misleading and they do not offer abortions that they will try to convince uh, people to to keep their unborn child uh, in, instead of, of pursuing abortion. So Nori Malik, the vice president of user operations at Yelp, she said the warnings are necessary because of, quote, the misleading nature of crisis pregnancy centers. She went on to say that it's, quote, unjust for there to be clinics that provide misleading information or conduct deceptive tactics to steer pregnant people She said people, not women, which that's just another indicator of where we are culturally. Uh, Pregnant people away from abortion care if that's the path they choose to take. Uh, So Yelp's decision comes after uh, Democratic lawmakers have pressured Google also uh, and their parent company Alphabet to scrub pro-life clinics from Google search results, ads and maps altogether. Uh, In response to that letter, which was sent in June, a Republican attorneys general responded and said uh, in a warning to Google that taking such suppressive action uh, against crisis pregnancy centers is discrimination and would likely lead to lawsuits. So at the end of this, we ultimately, of course, should note that pregnancy uh, crisis pregnancy centers uh, are not bad. Uh, We've covered this a lot at CBN News and at Faithwire. Uh, They offer a whole lot of incredible services uh, to women, giving them other options, just making them aware that there are choices outside of abortion. A lot of them are funded by Christians. They're funded by churches, nonprofit charities that give free ultrasounds, free screenings for STDs. Uh, They give pro-life counseling. Uh, And even some of them, there's one actually in Lynchburg where I live uh, that gives post-abortive care that says, look, let me come alongside you after you've chosen abortion. Let's give you counseling to help you through that trauma and help you understand why it was not the best choice, uh, but that there is forgiveness uh, from Christ. Yeah, it's interesting to me that this criticism is something that's taking any sort of route at all because you never see it the other way. Clearly, an abortion clinic, I mean, they'll claim that they reference people out for adoption, having the baby, giving it up for adoption, but its we've seen the numbers. It's incredibly rare 
that Planned Parenthood and other like organizations actually do that. And so for them to get the blame on this and to be labeled villainous for that is really remarkable. And I this the the kind of the way that it's framed that that warning that you you might not have a licensed doctor there. I mean, you do, I don't know what all of the doctors are at these different clinics. You don't need to be a doctor to know that killing an unborn child probably not a good idea. So, but I that's not the way they would approach that. That's the way I approach it. But uh, it's interesting to me that you 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 it's a one-way street it seems. Well, it's ironic, too, that people who advocate for non-doctors to perform abortions in states all over the country doesn't have to be a doctor. You know, they're suddenly so worried about doctors being available and nurses being available um, at these at these locations. Also, the language that they use, women's health care, but yet out of hundreds yeah. of clinics, not one Planned Parenthood could bother itself to have a mammogram machine for one of the biggest issues facing women. I mean, you can go down the line. I think you're absolutely right, Dan. This is a major issue. Um, and by the way, if you're so big on choice, why not give people choice? Yeah. I, I just, all of it is so ironic. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and let's not forget Planned Parenthood as well. They're 90 some percent of their revenue comes from abortion. So it's not what they're saying it is that it's this big diverse thing, but yet they zero in on it when it comes to the CPCs. No, well, Dan, it's only three percent of what they do. It's only three. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I just happened to think about this, but to to y'all's point about uh, you know, they might not be a licensed doctor at these uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Well, I remember just several months ago, and I'm sure this will come up again uh, eventually. All of these pro-abortion groups, Planned Parenthood included, uh, you know, just losing it over the idea that they think uh, you know it's wrong to say that doctors and and abortionists and nurses have to have admitting privileges at a hospital, uh, at, a, at an abortion clinic. But now that the shoe's on the other foot, oh, they need to be having admitting privileges and they need to be, you know, licensed. Like, okay, so you can't have it both ways. Pick, right. pick one or the other. Right, either it's something worth doing or, or not. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like consistency ends up being a virtue for uh, this movement much of the time. Uh, all right, Trey, thanks for that one. Uh, Lifeway Research, they're out with some interesting new data showing really big denominational swings when it comes to churches allowing female senior pastors clearly a divisive topic within the church community so uh, billy what what does the data show well it's a theologically flammable topic for sure <laughs> yes, it has it been for a couple of thousand years now but this research found some really interesting things on the whole they they interviewed a thousand pastors across protestant denominations 55% of U.S. Protestant pastors said that the senior pastor role is open to women in their churches, so just over half. But when you get into the denominations, this is where it gets interesting. 76% of mainline pastors said, yes, females can serve as senior pastors. Just 44% of evangelicals said the same. And it got really intriguing when you started kind of looking at, okay, specifically within the denominations, the smaller denominations, not just the larger movements, 94% of Methodists, they were the most likely to report allowing women to be pastors. Baptists came in at 14%. So that's a huge you know, 80 percentage point disparity between Methodists and Baptists on this. So major, major swings there. Um, Pentecostals at 78% and Presbyterian and Reformed at 77 
5%. So a lot to unpack there. Obviously, this debate goes back to the Apostle Paul's writings. And there's, I mean, we could go on and on about the debate itself. It's nothing new. But they also asked about other roles within the church. And it was interesting, on the whole, 94% of pastors said that women could be ministers to kids, 92% said that women could be committee leaders, and um, you can go down the line in a number of other roles that the majority of pastors had really no issue with. But the one really interesting metric before we finish here that I think is important, and this one was strange, LifeWay found another demographic difference, younger pastors, so pastors between the ages of 18 and 44 49% of them said women could be in a senior pastor role. They were less likely than older pastors to say so. So pastors who were, for instance, 65 years old and older, 59% of them said that women could serve. You would think it would be the opposite, but the younger pastors were the ones that were saying their churches did not allow female pastors. So I thought that was an interesting metric there. Hmm. What would you think? uh, Do you have a possible theory on why you think that discrepancy could be or why that difference is falling the way that it is? I do. And my theory is that what you're finding right now is obviously, you know, the cultural narrative is that faith is dying. People are running. There's fewer Christians. What we see happening is that the Christians who are digging in, they're really digging into more conservative tradition, into more traditional stances. And so the traditional stance has been in the majority historically that the answer would be no for for female pastors. So I think people are digging in more on the evangelical front, and that's where you're seeing those numbers stronger. So I think you're seeing the young people who embrace faith, they're doing it in a much more evangelical way. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely some truth to that. I think that that theory makes sense because we're seeing that across the board with any number of issues, right? It's not just uh, women. It's like there's been this attack. Well, not a, I shouldn't say attack, but there's been this rejection over the last several years, particularly with younger generations of believers uh, against the seeker-friendly type stuff. It's like, let's just get back to the basics of what Scripture says and preach through Scripture uh, because I think that's what that's what people are so hungry for. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it, it makes sense that anytime you make Scripture the foundation, uh, it's going to flourish. And I think that's that's what we're seeing in, in the, these younger generations, which is an interesting juxtaposition against the way our culture is trending. The secular culture, I mean, is trending. So to see people diving even deeper into the Word of God uh, is a positive shift, you know, overall. As far as the this study in particular, I do think it's interesting that 44%, even though it's a minority, still 44% of evangelicals being open to uh, women being in, in pastoral leadership roles is is not a small number. So overall, just fascinating numbers all around. Yeah, it is. And um, I'm sure it'll get dissected and debated and reported on over the coming weeks uh, in different communities and as well as cbnnews.com and faithwire.com. You can be on the lookout for more on that topic. And that leads us into our main thing. Has gender-affirming care, has the pendulum swung too far? Well, Heather Sells looks at one hospital that's beginning to push back on today's main thing. More than 50 pediatric clinics around the country are performing procedures, including surgery, that often leave young kids unable to ever have children of their own. It's irreversible. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics recently made a surprising move as parents begin to question the wisdom and the flimsy science behind gender-affirming care. Heather Sells has more. 
This latest pushback started in July when the United Kingdom closed its national clinic for kids. The shutdown came after an independent review found shaky scientific evidence for pushing hormones, puberty blockers and surgery. There's been a tendency here in the United States to dismiss that and in fact even to double down and, and be even more uh, uh, assertive uh, in saying that the affirmative approach uh, must be uh, used uh, here uh, in this country. U.S. hormone specialists like Dr. Paul Ruse are paying close attention. And now a class action lawsuit is launching against the clinic with as many as 1,000 affected families. I think this is going to be one of the uh, largest uh, medical negligence scandals of all time. Here in the U.S., social media protests over pediatric gender clinics have taken off, prompting places like the Boston Children's Hospital to remove videos explaining its surgeries. And on Monday, the American Academy of Pediatrics appeared to backpedal, saying that for the vast majority of children, it does not recommend medical treatment or surgery. I do think that this is a shift. I think it's in response to the criticism that that's occurring. The recent growth in gender medicine is staggering. In the UK, young patients have grown from hundreds to thousands in the last decade. In the U.S., more than 50 pediatric clinics are in business since Boston opened the first in 2007. That the protocol has become uh, giving children as young as 9, 10, 11 puberty blockers. Attorney Mary Rice Hassan says many doctors put kids on a one-way treatment path that can lead to long-term harm. Advocates counter that such ages are appropriate. If we get kids early enough in the process, we put them on puberty blockers or medications that actually keep their body from progressing through that wrong puberty. Still, the latest research shows these kids will likely lose their ability to have children. Hassan argues they can't grasp the long-term effects of the treatments. They certainly can't consent to losing their fertility and their sexual function at an age when they haven't even experienced anything about that. How can they have a conception of that? Many parents are rising up by seeking help, becoming active in the cause or both, after witnessing how gender medicine has harmed their children. Doctors are also speaking out, organizing to promote evidence-informed care. I certainly hope that the science can be elevated uh, to be on par uh, with other medical conditions that we treat. Doctors like Ruse propose deeper research to understand the best treatments for kids with gender distress. And they're proposing extreme caution in promoting these medical interventions to young patients and their parents. Well, it is certainly fascinating to watch all this play out. And it seems like a big shift is happening. How important, Heather, do you see as this recent move by the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think it's a sign, and it's a sign that is coming from a very influential and prestigious medical organization. And keep in mind that in 2018, they put out a statement on transgender care and talked about uh, the watch and wait, the conservative approach, the let's hold off on medicine and medical treatments approach. They called that outdated in 2018. So now that they're saying the vast majority of kids uh, potentially do not need medical treatments is very telling, uh, but how quickly that translates to the ground is debatable. Well, there's certainly no shortage of opinions on this issue. It's getting very heated politically. Heather, what do you see making the ultimate real difference here in the whole debate? 
One is that we've got significant stakeholders speaking out now. We've got professionals who are now really talking about their concerns in the research, and we've got parents who are rising up. Also, I will tell you that there is a legislative move underway to extend the statute of limitations uh, from a couple of years to 30, and that could change the, the entire equation because right now, if kids have just two to three years to say, hey, I've been wronged, I'm going to sue, uh, if they now have up to 30 years, to say, hey, I've been wronged, I'm going to sue. That will change the calculus risk for physicians. Yeah, and some of the most influential voices are those who have changed their minds and are sharing their testimonies. What are those people saying? Yeah, these people are called uh, detransitioners, and they are sharing what we uh, say is their lived experience, and they are telling tragic stories. They are talking, many of them, not all, but many of them are talking about regret, talking about changes to their bodies that they are trying to change back and cannot, and or talking about lifelong medical complications, extremely sad stories, and I think eventually uh, they're going to be hard to ignore. All right, Heather, thanks so much for that report. And that leaves us with time for one last thing today, guys. And we'll take a quick look at scripture here, just totally at random, just not anything to do with the news going on today whatsoever. But 1 Timothy 5.18, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading without the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. So just, just out of the blue, guys, just what do you, what's your reaction to that? Well, look, I think I think it's so important. Scripture talks about this so often that, you know, we we work hard and we have a responsibility to work hard yeah. in this life and to be responsible stewards of what we've been given. So if you decide to go to college, I went to college and I've got some student loan still left uh, that I have to pay off. Uh, you have a responsibility to do that. So I think we work hard. Uh, we are wise with the reward that we get for our hard work and we invest it properly. And part of investing it properly is paying back what we owe. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well said. And I, and I think, too, as you mentioned, being good stewards. And I think that also means really looking into what we're investing in, because as the price of college goes up and up and up and up ahead of the rate of inflation, it just seems like maybe it's not the guarantee that it used to be in 1950 when when a lot of our great grandparents and grandparents didn't you know work it in the factories or whatever the case may be and they they really sought after that higher education because it meant they could really get ahead but now it's just i mean we're living in a different time it, it is not a guarantee that if you get a general college degree that that's somehow going to get you this amazing job you know it's just, it's not the guarantee that it once was and so i think we really have to just not go along with what the world says and actually really evaluate it and see is okay what other options are there out there and maybe college is the best route not saying that it isn't always something not to do but i think it is we're at the point now where you really do have to analyze it and evaluate the cost versus the benefit well and you've got proverbs 22 7 the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender and that yeah. reality is you have to make sure if you're going to become the slave to the lender that it's worth the investment that you've put into it yeah. that, that money is like what you're saying dan is worth that payoff the government doesn't cap. There is no cap on how much money you can take out. There's no incentive for colleges to lower their rates only to increase them. Is it worth taking that money out? Yeah, that's a good point on the debt, too, because now we're becoming slaves to debt. So many people are becoming slaves to debt, and it, and it boxes them into a lifestyle where maybe both parents have to work, right? And, and the world doesn't teach biblical principles. They don't care about that. And so they don't put the family first. 
And as Christians, we're, we're going to have to think about, okay, how can we set up our lives so that, well, you know, both of us can work if we want, but we can also pull back from that because in the world's eyes, it's, Hey, get the most you could afford. I was the same way when I was younger because I bought into the world's view of things. And it was like, Oh, here's what my wife makes. Here's what I make. Let's pull that together. Here's what we can afford. That's a worldly way of thinking. And I think as Christians, we have to really fight against the grain of the world to look different from the world and to set ourselves up so that we're not, as you said, Billy, you know, slaves to the lender. So, all right, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, Friday Junior is coming to a close. But as always, head on over to CBNnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. Leave that rating. If you've made it all the way here, you love this podcast as much as we do. Leave a rating. We'd love to hear from you. So Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow to do it all again. God bless. See you then.